Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show's election night special. We are live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 and for the first time ever live on YouTube. That's fun. Hope you're watching us on YouTube. And if you are, you can send us questions in the chat and I will try to answer as many as I can throughout the next two hours. That's also something that I was not able to do with you guys while I was live on Fox and NBC. So this is better and I'm really enjoying myself. Plus, I've got leggings on. So that's a plus. <laughs> all right. Joining us on the show this evening, we've got a cast of all stars. Dennis Prager, Barry Weiss, David Sachs, Camille Foster, Larry Elder, and many more friends of the show. Right now at 9 p.m. Eastern, polls are closing in several key states, including Arizona, Colorado, Michigan, New York, and Wisconsin. And already some key races have been called. The Associated Press projecting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, winner of the gubernatorial race in Florida. CNN projecting Florida Senator Marco Rubio will defeat his Democratic opponent, Congresswoman Val Demings. The margins are what's interesting there. And so far, it seems like a bloodbath. Uh, meanwhile, exit polls showing the top issue for voters was the state of the economy. And CNN's exit polls showing only 5% of people polled felt enthusiastic about the direction of the country. The New York Times tonight, and I'm not kidding, <laughs> this is true, wrote tips on how its readers can deal with election night results. They include, quote, breathe like a baby and, quote, plunge your face into a bowl of ice water. <laughs> I guess when you cater to the snowflakes, you need to offer tips like that, though. If you are a snowflake, you surely shouldn't be putting yourself in a bowl of ice water. It's not going to end well. Uh, it's going to be a fun couple of hours, so we're going to get started. Let's get right on it. When it comes to analyzing election night results straight down the middle, there is no better place to look than the team at Real Clear Politics. I've been relying on them for the entire time I've been a journalist. Uh, Tom Bevan is the man behind it. He's the co-founder of RCP and its president, and he's here with us tonight to get us started. Tom, so great to have you. How you doing? Great to be here, Megan. Thanks for having me. All right. So what's your overall take on what you've seen so far? Well, I mean, it's still early in a lot of these states, but as you mentioned, uh, you know, the the margins in Florida uh, were really impressive for Ron DeSantis, 19 points and Marco Rubio, 16 points uh, winning Miami-Dade County. I mean, just just all sorts of of Republican uh, strength shown in the state of Florida. Uh, and we've seen that state growing more red over time. But this was really, you know, uh, Republicans flexing their muscles in the state of Florida. Um, as far as some of the Senate races, you know, it's early in Georgia. That race is very, very close. A lot of votes still to be counted. Close in New Hampshire. Uh, no call in uh, in Ohio um, or uh, North Carolina yet. Both of those races are still being counted. So some work to do, even though in Ohio, the governor's race was called almost immediately. Mike DeWine reelected and Chris Sununu in New Hampshire was immediately called as well. So um and we'll have to see what happens out west. I mean, obviously, we, you know, we had this situation in Arizona with Maricopa County and the malfunctioning tabulators. Um, but it looks like Republicans out there are the turnouts pretty strong in, in both Arizona and Nevada. But again, a lot of votes still to be counted. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's go through a few of those that you just ticked off. Uh, first, Florida, the, the Miami-Dade County in particular, as I understand it, uh, DeSantis and, and Rubio both won that by double digits. And this is a county that Hillary Clinton won by 30 points in 2016. The enormous swing toward the GOP in what was a pretty solidly blue county when it came to voting. What explains it? Uh 
Well, the Hispanic vote, I mean, it's a 70 percent Hispanic county and the Cuban-American vote there uh, has swung very hard toward Republicans. But just generally speaking, I mean, I think independence broke for Republicans there and, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis' strength. Um, you're right. I mean, it's this is this is uh, this was a county that Democrats, it was one of their strongholds for a long, long time. It hadn't been won by a Republican Republican since Jeb Bush in 2002. So it's been two decades since this has happened. And obviously, Jeb Bush was a very popular governor as well. So, um, look, it just shows that I think, uh, you know, particularly in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis is extremely popular. Marco Rubio, you know, people were thinking that this race was going to be the Val Demings was going to be give him a yes. real challenge. The polls were tight initially. And then at the end, he sort of broke away and, and he even outperformed his polls by, I don't know, I think seven or eight points. It's interesting for many reasons, including what it portends for 2024. You know, if, if Florida is officially red because it was purple and, and both sides fought for it hard, uh, if Florida is officially red, I mean, that's that's a terrible development for the Dems because it's so rich in its electoral votes. They, of course, have meantime been turning other previously reddish or purple states blue, like Virginia, like they're focused on Georgia. They're even thinking right. about Texas. So, you know, it all, it all could even out in the end, but an interesting trend. Um, okay. Let's talk about what's happening uh, in, in, well, Pennsylvania and Georgia, uh, and then we'll, we'll move out West. Right now, Georgia Senate race, uh, Warnock, he was at 50% so far in the vote. Now they just lowered him down to 49%. Only 48% of the votes, as I understand, are in right now. Warnock is at 49. Walker's at 48. It's neck and neck. I'm very, very reluctant to talk too much about the early vote count and how each candidate is doing, because in nine out of 10 cases, the early vote count heavily favors the Democrat. And what right. we're looking at isn't isn't real. It's not meaningful to just take a, a sample of the votes so far and say, oh, this is what we know. I mean, we don't we don't really know much. That's right. We don't. And it's gotten worse, right? You have you have this real bifurcation between, you know, Democrats who who are banking a ton of early vote more so than in the past, and Republicans who are, for various reasons, including you know election integrity issues, have sort of shied away from from uh, voting early and doing mail in ballots, and so they overwhelmingly show up on election day. So you really do have this, you know, you you have a huge portion of the vote Democrats coming in before the actual election day and then Republicans. So it is tough to, to figure out. You really do have to wait until you get a decent amount of the vote in before you can start trying to figure out, okay. And even then you got to know where the vote is and where it's coming in. Is it coming in from the cities? Or are we waiting on rural counties? So it's a, it's a pretty complex thing to, to try and, you know, suss out exactly where the vote, but, wh wh which vote has come in and which vote is still left out. But right now it does look like in, in some of these counties in Pennsylvania and Georgia that, Fetterman is underperforming Shapiro, the Democrat at the top of the ticket for the governor's race in Pennsylvania, and that Herschel Walker may be underperforming Brian Kemp uh, in the same situation down in Georgia. Is that a surprise to you? It looks like there may be some ticket splitting going on. Not at all. I mean, that's that was evident in the polls. And that was one of the interesting questions about this. Uh, this election is how how many ticket splitters were there going to be out there? You know, was Brian Kemp really going to win uh, as if the polls are correct, that he would win by five or six points and Herschel Walker would lose or that, you know, uh, Shapiro would win by 10 or 12 points and, and John Fetterman would lose. Um, there there is some ticket splitting going on uh, a little bit. Um, we you know, get, just look at New Hampshire where you've got, you know, again, Sununu won is going to win over one overwhelmingly. And yet you've still got a really, really close race. Uh, at the Senate level. So um, not not terribly surprising to see that, that Fetterman is running behind and, and that uh, Walker is running behind Kemp. 
Are you surprised about Ohio that they called um, for the governor's race, but they didn't call for J.D. Vance or for you know his, not, his opponent? Dimron? Not really. I mean, the polls, same thing. DeWine was up 15, 20 points in the polls. Uh, Vance was, you know, at six, seven, eight points. And so that wasn't totally unexpected that they would do a, a snap call on the on the governor's race, but hold off yeah. on the uh, on the uh, Senate race there. All right, let's move to Arizona, because what happened in Maricopa County is making all sorts of news. Harmeet Dillon, a lawyer to a lot of GOPers, including President Trump and including, in this case, Carrie Lake and um, and um, the GOP, has filed a lawsuit to try to keep the polls open in Maricopa County till at least 10 and to not start tabulating the votes or releasing them publicly until 11 p.m. because the voting machines, according to local officials, were printing ballots that didn't have enough ink. So the proper lines weren't showing up. They say that they've rectified the situation. But according to Carrie Lake um, and to Harmeet's lawyer or to the lawyer Harmeet's petition, she says that voters were told when they showed up, oh, uh, you can just spoil your ballot, you know, throw it away. And then you can just go to another polling station and you can vote there. And that voters then did that only to be told, oh, no, you cannot. You you started at this other place and we, we're not going to let you vote here because how can we be sure that that vote didn't go through? People got upset. They were allowed to cast provisional ballots, but they don't know if they're going to be counted and so on. It's been kind of a mess. Uh, and in, that has Carrie Lake saying the following, because keep in mind, her opponent is the secretary of state who oversees right. the integrity of elections. Here's her soundbite one. Do you think this is normal, guys? My question is... Do you think what's happening here in Maricopa County is normal? We have had problems after problems. And there's a reason we decided to change locations. We were going to go to a pretty Republican area. But I woke up this morning and within minutes of the polls opening up, I started getting people calling, voters in tears, calling my personal number, saying, what's going on? The tabulators aren't working. They told me to put my my ballot into a box and they would drive it downtown to county. This is not normal stuff. We don't have to have elections run this way. We switched from a Republican area to vote. We came right down into the heart of liberal Phoenix to vote because we wanted to make sure that we had good machines. And guess what? They've had zero problems with their machines today. Not one machine spit out a ballot here today. Not one in a very liberal area. So we were right to come and vote in a liberal area. They gotta fix this problem. This is incompetency. I hope it's not malice, but we're going to fix it. We're going to win. And when we win, there's going to be a come to Jesus for elections in Arizona. There's going to be a come to Jesus. She says, I hope it's not malice, suggesting that her opponent may have been up to some funny business there. I will tell you this just in. Uh, NBC News reporting the judge in Maricopa County rejected the request to keep the polls open beyond 7 p.m. Arizona time, citing a lack of evidence that anyone had been prevented from voting. Um, if it's tight out there, Tom, mm. oh. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable that after what happened in 2020 and all of that, you know, the, the state had two years to get their stuff together and to show up on Election Day again. Remember, not just that that Katie Hobbs is the secretary of state, but the Democrats have banked a lot of their early vote or a lot of their vote in the early voting period. And, and knowing that it's overwhelmingly Republicans that are going to show up on Election Day to vote that 20 to 25, even 27 percent of the tabulating machines in the largest county in the state do not work um, is just is just unbelievable. And I listen, I hope everybody who 
who, who wanted to vote, got a chance to vote. Um, and I hope this all works out. But it absolutely invites, I mean, if this race comes down to in Kerry Lake or Blake Masters lose by, you know, 5,000 votes or half a percentage point or, one, you know, one percentage point, it absolutely invites the kind of uh, speculation that, you know, something was not on the up and up. And, and that's just, that's the political landscape we are. Again, hopefully it doesn't come to that. And hopefully, you know, whoever wins in Arizona will win by a margin that will, uh, you know, sort of preclude any anybody thinking that that this snafu that happened today was was done in any sort of deliberate way. You know, this just came in, Tom, uh, MSNBC reacting to this whole situation that you and I are discussing. Listen here. So the fact that Arizona is already the epicenter of the big lie 2022 is not an accident. The again, cyber ninjas aren't right. coming to get them this time. <laughs> but, but again, as, as, as January 6th committee presented all the evidence, it was like, oh, yeah, they did all that in public. Yeah. As we're covering Arizona yeah. tonight, they've done it all in public. And remember, this was. The big lie 2022. I mean, this is already. <laughs> I mean, listen. I, you know, you can't watch MSNBC. I mean, they had someone on earlier who was saying that, you know, there's been more voter suppression going on in Georgia this year than there ever has been in the past, which is just mm-hmm. a- absolutely absurd. I mean, imagine what MSNBC would be saying if the uh, largest county in, let's say, Georgia, OK, uh, where there were, uh, you know, overwhelmingly Democrats were going to turn out to vote. And suddenly, you know, one fifth of the machines malfunctioned. Imagine what what they'd be saying, uh, you know, in that circumstance. So, yes, I think you just kind of have to ignore that. And exa- and as Carrie Lake points out, in no other counties, if the if the ballot machines were working perfectly in all the GOP counties, uh, which is what Carrie was saying, that, you know, you've got an opponent who's in charge of this whole situation. It just so happens that in the red leaning county, the the printers weren't loaded with the proper ink. This was just an ink uh, solution. It seems so simple to both break and to fix. Yeah, they'd be losing their minds. Tom, we'll but get I, back I, to you I will you say this shortly. real quickly, yeah, Megan. I mean, the numbers that are coming out of Maricopa County and other counties, by the way, in Arizona, look very, very good for Republicans. And it seems like this may not have have affected. It may have actually energized Republicans who were pissed off about, you know, the snafu and went to different locations, whatever. We'll see how long it takes to count the ballots and where this ends up. But it, it may not have uh, it may have actually improved the Republican turnout in, in Maricopa uh, because of the way this all went down. And to reiterate, they were given provisional ballots, apparently. And so if things did get very tight, there should be a record of how they tried to vote. Tom, we will be back to you uh, often throughout the next couple of hours. Tom and our pal Jim Garrity of National Review are hanging out with us all night to keep us up to date on all the breaking developments. Um, So we'll get back to them as well. And certainly if something big happens. Joining me now, Larry Elder. He is the host of The Larry Elder Show, which can be heard on more than 300 radio stations nationwide wide. Larry, it's not good to have something like that kicking off uh, one of one of the big races that we're all watching in both the Senate and the gubernatorial race uh, in a state that's already under the microscope from 2020, Arizona. No, no, it's not good. And uh, uh, I was uh, an early supporter of Carrie Lake. I've known her for a number of years, uh, campaigned for her and campaigned with her, attended a rally with her. Uh, and this is almost unfathomable. And as you pointed out, her opponent is the Secretary of State. So uh, it certainly invites um, speculation as to whether or not the, the election is going to be on the up and up in the event that it's a close election, as Tom pointed out. 
One of these things that I, I find fascinating, though, Megan, about this whole business about election deniers is the Democrats spent about $50 million getting various so-called election deniers nominated on the Republican side because they assumed that they would be easier to beat. Furthermore, for years, I mean years, uh, people like Hillary Clinton, uh, people like Al Gore, Stacey Abrams have been talking about how their elections were unfair, stolen. Uh, they were victimized by voter suppression and nobody called them election deniers and nobody accused them of undermining the foundation of America's Republic. So the hypocrisy is just almost bone chilling. You have Jimmy Carter, the former president of the United States, saying in 2019 that he thought the Russians put uh, Donald Trump in office. There was a 1000 page Senate report. They made two major conclusions about 2016. Conclusion number one, the Russians tried to change voting machine, voting machine tallies, but they failed to change a single one. Jay Johnson, Obama's DHS secretary, testified under oath the Russians failed to change a single vote tally, yet 66% of Democrats, according to a YouGov poll, believe the Russians changed vote tallies to elect Donald Trump. The other major finding was that we have no idea, said Jay Johnson, whether or not the Russian interference, and there clearly was interference, altered the outcome of election or affected uh, public opinion. Yet, according to Gallup, 78% of Democrats believe the Russian interference altered public opinion. In other words, a greater percentage of Democrats believe 2016 was quote unquote stolen. The Republicans would feel the same way about 2020, yet nobody called them election deniers. Hillary's, Hillary's social media platforms were never shut down, even though she referred to Donald Trump many times as illegitimate and many times referred to her the 2016 election as stolen. So the, you know, the hypocrisy is just, as I said, bone chilling, uh, jaw dropping. I'm, I'm running out of uh, running out of ways to express it. <laughs> we know we get the point. And, and meanwhile, the Washington Post tonight has got a running tally of how many of the quote election deniers get elected they're they're keeping a list and taking names larry and i'm sure you know we'll see whether stacy abrams winds up on that list it doesn't appear that she will because she's not on track to win want to bring you this bit of breaking news um fox news decision desk is calling the texas race for governor greg abbott um putting an end to Beto O'Rourke's, you know, how many challenges has this been, him challenging him, Ted Cruz and so on. It, it is not to be for Beto, notwithstanding his weird dancing videos at the end to the surprise <laughs> of no one. Let me get to this. The exit polls have some fascinating information in them. And my overall impression on it, Larry, is it's it's not good for the Democrats and it's absolutely awful for Joe Biden. Um, the numbers, yes, we're not surprised to see inflation is the most important issue and the, the voters trust the Republicans to handle it more than the Dems. I will say I was surprised to see close behind it was abortion. 32% say inflation is number one, 27% say abortion is number two. On abortion, they trust the Dems more by a 10, point, 10 percentage point margin. Um, and that, but you get to like the overall numbers, okay? Economy, 75% say the economy is poor, or not good. Uh, inflation, 78% say this past year, inflation has caused their family moderate or severe hardship. Um, you go down the list on values. There, our society's values on gender identity and sexual orientation changing for the worse or for the better. 50%, they're changing for the worse. Only 27% say they're changing for the better. 20% say neither. I could keep going. But on the cultural issues, on the economic issues, on crime and so on, these voters are ready to pull the lever for the Republicans. It, abortion, as it turns out, was indeed the Democrats' best issue. Yeah, it turned out it, it was their best issue. But of course, it wasn't the major issue. The major issue, of course, is inflation, gas prices, 
Uh, and then you talk about crime, you talk about the borders. But here's something else, too, that I think is going on. For the last several years, we've had all of this wokeism, uh, big push for diversity, inclusion, equity. So it's infused every segment of our society, academia, media, big tech. Uh, people are walking on eggshells lest they be perceived uh, as racist. Uh, Ibram Kendi, the anti-racist, would probably be smiling about how anti-racist America is. So if America is anti-racist, if you're black or if you're brown, and you no longer think of yourself as victimized by systemic racism, then you begin to think of yourself the same way other Americans think of themselves. I'm worried about crime. I'm worried about inflation. I'm worried about whether or not my kid is going to be infused with critical race theory. I'm worried about the borders, like everybody else. You can't, on the one hand, attack America uh, for being racist and uh, put in all these programs and policies and pressure to make America more sensitive to race and then say it didn't matter. Didn't matter. You're still uh, systemically oppressed. So I think that they have kind of been uh, victors of their own success in convincing people that we need to lean over backwards to avoid the appearance of being racist, because more and more black and brown people say, OK, what about the things that affect me? What about when I go to the gas station? What about uh, when I take my kid to school? What about uh, inflation? What about the fact that I'm paying four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars a month more for the same goods and services that I paid two years ago? This is what's going on in the country uh, and the Democrats are going to pay for it. The numbers on race, uh, according to the exit polls, racism is a major problem. Fifty percent of voters said yes. Minor problem, 30 percent. Not a problem at all, 16 percent. So you have 46 percent saying it's either minor or not a problem. You got 50 percent saying it's a major problem. And by the way, we don't know what kind of racism those folks are talking about. You know, those could be Asian Americans. Those could be any any type of Americans. Um, And so it I think the Democrats are going to be surprised to see that their messaging has not has not resonated in the way that they would expect, especially given their total control of the media. Uh, You look at how things are going in the United States, and this is number one. How are things going in the United States? Seventy three percent of today's electorate is either angry or dissatisfied, angry or dissatisfied. That's why in these midterm elections, the party in power tends to lose seats and lose a lot of them. And Megan, on the racism thing, uh, people might be talking about racism on the left. I'm in Los Angeles and uh, there were three members of the L.A. City Council on a leaked tape. They were they were Latina, all talking about how they're going to suppress the black vote, making horrific statements about Jews, about even fellow uh, Mexicans uh, and, and about whites. And so I think a lot of people feel that um, this business of America being systemically racist uh, is something that uh, not just a white uh, uh, Christian male Republicans are guilty of, but also people on the left are guilty of. And again, I think people are sick of it. You can't have a, a president uh, named Barack Obama reelected with the worst economic recovery since 1949, uh, getting a higher percentage of the white vote than John Kerry did four years earlier and still talk about how racist America is. It's not going to fly. Mm. What do you make of the wrong track? That's basically right track, wrong track. How are things going? 73% say they're angry or dissatisfied. I guess how many are enthusiastic about the way things are going? 5%. 5%. And and of course, Joe uh, Joe Biden, his popularity is in the 40s. You put the the wrong track uh, and his popularity. uh, And again, gas prices up 100% since since he took office. Uh, inflation, highest it's been since 40 years. You add it all up, it's not good. And because Biden was in charge of government, uh, the Senate uh, and the House, it means Democrats were able to do pretty much what they wanted to do. And here are the results. Uh, it's not quite as bad as California or the Senate and, and the Assembly are supermajority Democrats. But the point is, when the Democrats are in complete control, this is what happens. Tax, spend, regulate, inflation, bad news.
Yeah, I mean, the numbers are actually dreadful, and that really does explain what's happening today. When you have that and you have uh, 34% of the electorate today, 65 or older, compare that with just 22% back in 2020, that's not good because the older vote tends to go Republican. I mean, this is just a fact. More young people would be better for the Democrats, more older voters would be better for the Republicans. And every year, the Democrats try to chase that youth vote like it's going to be their, you know, their savior. And every year the young people disappoint them. <laughs> and especially in a midterm, it tends to be old people to old people who care about politics and get out there and vote. But that didn't stop them from trying. I'm in L.A. There's a suburb of L.A. called Culver City. Believe it or not, there's a proposition to lower the voting age to 16. Uh, and if you look at the polls, people who are 16 years old, 17 years old, they tend to be more left wing than their parents. That's why they're doing it in order to hold on to power. Um, I'm getting a question for you from one of our YouTube viewers, Robert Neal, who asks, uh, ask Larry if you will run again, maybe for mayor of L.A. How about mayor of L.A.? Well, there's a very interesting mayoral race going on right now between Karen Bass, a longtime Democrat, and Rick Caruso, who was a longtime Republican. Then all of a sudden, before he registered to uh, run for mayor, he switched over to uh, to Democrat. He is a multi-billionaire who's outspent his opponent 10 to 1. He spent $100 million of his own money and it narrowed the gap, but he's still down by about four or five points last I checked. As far as myself is concerned, uh, I am thinking about running for something else, but it's not going to be um, California. It's going to be something a little bit bigger. Uh, I've uh, been spending a lot of time in Iowa, Megan, and in New Hampshire. Uh, and you know why those two states are important. I haven't made a decision yet, but sometime next year I will. And I'm giving it strong consideration, not because I want to displace Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. I think they're both great people. And I and I love Donald Trump, ran for him, so, ran with him, uh, rather campaigned with him, supported him, and certainly will enthusiastically support him in the event that he becomes a nominee. And I suspect he will. I want to talk about some of the other things you and I've been talking about, which is the demise of the nuclear intact family and this BS about systemic racism. And I think I could talk about those things in a compelling way that maybe some of the other Republican candidates cannot. Wait, so our audience member, Robert Neal, has broken a little news with you here, Larry. It's not just an L.A. mayor, which might be on the table. It's a presidential challenge, even in the GOP primary. Even if Donald Trump runs, would you actually challenge him? Even if Donald Trump runs. When I ran for governor here, I didn't say oh. one negative thing about any of my Republican rivals. Unfortunately, they did not uh, return the favor. But no, I'm not going to say anything negative about these guys. I'm going to talk about all the issues we talked about tonight, the inflation, uh, the gas prices, this, this war against oil and gas the poorest borders, but also the fact that the welfare state has incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And now 40% of kids born today in America enter the world without a father married to the mother. 70% of black kids do. Half of Hispanic kids do. 25% of white kids do. It is a national scandal that neither party, in my opinion, is spending very much time talking about. And the other thing is about systemic racism. It is a lie. It's pitting each other against, uh, against each other. It's causing cops to pull back. It's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. And the people that are killed most because of the excess death uh, are black and brown people living in the inner city. And we need to talk a lot more about that. My father never knew his biological father, so it's not a death sentence. Uh, he grew up dirt poor, uh, eighth grade education, uh, clean toilets, two full-time jobs doing that. Megan, fast forward, he started a little cafe. My dad retires in his early 80s. And when he retired, his net worth was close to a little bit under a million dollars. And my father was a patriot, a Republican, a Christian, and he believed in hard work. And he would not let my brothers and me whine about anything at all, given the comparison 
between our circumstance and the circumstance he grew up in Athens, Georgia during the Jim Crow South. So the fact that you have young people running around talking about systemic racism, to me, is an abomination. And we ought to be talking more about that and tell them to knock it off, invest in yourself, work hard, get an education. Don't have a kid before you're 20 years old. Get married first. Get a job. Keep a job. Don't quit the job. Avoid the criminal justice system. You will not be poor. Mm, Larry Elder. So great to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We'll continue to follow your own hat in what race it's, it, it gets thrown into, whether it's mayoral or presidential. See you soon. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Just to update you guys again, uh, that that lawsuit that we told you about that Harmeet Dillon filed on behalf of Carrie Lake and others in uh, Arizona has been rejected by a Maricopa County judge uh, saying that there was no one who had been denied a ballot, that no one's vote was not uh, counted as a result. So that put a little check mark next to that just in case it gets really tight in Arizona. Uh, we've got a few more race calls coming in. CNN projecting Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the one-time press secretary and communications director for former President Trump, will win Arkansas's gubernatorial race. How about that? God, she took so much incoming. They were so nasty to her. Of course, her dad, Mike Huckabee, uh, became a star as the governor of uh, that same state. And so it's nice to see uh, the daughter take the baton. CBS News projecting Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene will win re-election, defeating Democratic challenger Marcus Flowers. They called that early and quickly. CNN projecting Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush will win re-election for Missouri's first congressional district race. Another squad member is safe. That's how we get members of the squad, because they run in very very, very blue areas in which those politics are celebrated and are not problematic. CNN, speaking of the squad, also projecting Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will win re-election as well in New York's 14th, as expected. So we are keeping a close tab on the House, where despite Cori Bush and AOC winning, Democrats appear to be panicking about low turnout in certain states, including Virginia. Helping us analyze breaking news all night is my pal Jim Garrity. He's the senior political correspondent for National Review. His newsletter, Morning Jolt, is a must read, especially during election season. And he's also from Virginia. So, Jim, you're the perfect man to talk to about low turnout there. Is it true? And what else are you watching right now? I I would say now, you know, when that was written, that may have been the case. And I was hearing from Virginia Democratic analysts and, and strategists who were like, wow, we are not seeing the morning numbers we wanted to see. Uh, as of this, well, worth noting in Virginia, the only race that was on the ballot was House district races. There is no Senate race. We took care of our governor's race last year with Glenn Youngkin. That is basically, you know, if you're a, a Democratic congressman who was swept in in the wave of 2018, sustained by the presidential turnout of 2020, this year you were on your own. And I think Republicans thought they had shots in three races this year. Uh, right now, the networks are calling two of them for Democrats, and it's kind of frustrating. Uh, Spanberger and Wexton. Wexton was going up against Hung Chow, who I thought was one of the best candidates of the cycle. This is a fair. You know, this is also post redistrict. Uh, these districts became a little less friendly for Republicans than they had been before, uh, but they thought they had a shot. And it looks like Hung Chow is going to be like, you know, within three points, a very respectable margin That's in Virginia a 10. you know pretty heavily Biden district. But the, the projection is that uh, Wexton will be reelected. Similar story for Spanberger, although honestly, the vote count I saw had her ahead. I don't think we have a Florida 2000 circumstance here, but, you know, mm. keep keep an eye on that race. Mm. Uh, then finally, the last one, uh, which was down in Newport News and is kind of the 
the kind of the second congressional district. This is one of the districts that is like, if not the swingiest in the country, it's probably in the top 10 or 15. Uh, Republican Jen Kiggins has a lead of 55% to 44% over Elaine Luria. Looks like Republicans will get that one. I got to say, though, based on this, and it looks like an early decision in Rhode Island's second district where uh, Alan Fung looks like he was going to make the uh, a competitive race in Rhode Island, which you don't usually see all that often or any of the New England states, really. Um, it looks like Magazine or the Democrat has won that open seat race. So I think you can now say, based on what we've seen, it's it's 930. It's not. It's fairly early. But I don't think the gargantuan red wave is occurring. I think you might get a medium-sized red wave. These were mm-hmm. the, the, you know, Virginia 10th, New Rhode Island 2nd. These were the seats where, like, if you're a Republican and you got really got the wind at your back, that's when you're like, ah, oh, we can get those. Looks like Republicans have fallen a little short on that. Uh, still a lot of competitive races out there. And I still think it's fairly obvious that Republicans will win the House. Now they're looking at a, you know, 20-some seat majority, maybe low 30-something, rather than the 40-seat and 50-seat numbers that I saw people throwing around earlier. Hmm. They only need six. So well, maybe five, six, but they, they so they're I mean, we're still looking at a likely GOP takeover of the House. But the question is, by what margin and how empowered would a Speaker McCarthy be to reject sort of the more tribal base of the party? Would they would he could he reject them on their agenda or would he uh, be more beholden to them if he only has a small lead uh, in terms of the numbers? So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. But are you, how are you feeling so far about the Senate? And given what we've seen so far, and I realize it's so early, I hate trying to make mm-hmm. projections based on partial vote, especially when we all know that the early vo- earliest vote that comes in is the mail vote, which tends to be heavily Democratic. So it's all it does feel miragey. Well, yeah, I was going to say that I think that so far in the night, there are two big stories or two big surprises. Look, we all knew that Ron DeSantis was going to win Florida. We all knew there was a really good chance Marco Rubio was going to win his reelection bid. Rubio, last I checked, was up by 15 percentage points and DeSantis was up by 19 percentage points. Right. So the story, you know, I saw you talking about this with Tom Bevan earlier. Uh, You know, Florida is now not just like it's a crimson state. It is an intensely red state. And I think if you're Republicans thinking about the 2024 presidential bid, a guy who can clean up in that state like Ron DeSantis looks really appealing right now. I think the interesting contrast is that we haven't seen this necessarily in lots of other states. Uh, it looks like Ted Budd is going to win in North Carolina. Um, I, I don't see too much Republicans panicking about that, but it doesn't look like a terribly big margin. The Republicans I'm hearing are are don't are not panicking about JD Vance. I think that you know they think he finishes on top, but it's not going to be a terribly wide margin. It looks like he may have underperformed a bit. Um, it's kind of too early to tell in a bunch of these other states. Uh, Don Boldick had up in New Hampshire. Now look, they've only counted a little bit of the vote out there, but Democrats are saying they think. Uh, Senator Hassan is holding on there. Uh, you know, time will tell, but I don't think you've seen you. You saw a huge Republican wave in Florida that is not being mimicked in other places. Now, this doesn't mean Republicans aren't going to win, but I think maybe you know Republicans are going to look at the results, at least as we've seen so far, and be slightly disappointed. Not not mm. you know, oh, this is terrible, but just a recognition of okay, we did not hit that gargantuan red tsunami, red tidal wave that we were you know. Uh, like visions of sugar plums dancing the heads in the final days of the election. Yeah. Well, we were looking going in to see whether it would be a tidal wave. It would just be like a normal wave that you could surf or it would just be a little like a little puddle, like a little tiny 
teeny tiny wave that you would still put your little two year old in the ocean with. Um, so any of those, I think, would be acceptable to the Republicans, uh, so long as they win control of at least one body of Congress. But uh, they prefer, of course, the tsunami. So far, we don't have a tsunami. Uh, and you're questioning whether it's too early to call that spam burger race because some have called it for her. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no reason to think that, you know, this is some grandiose effort to call it too early or something. Uh, just the last time I had checked that the the Republican was ahead there. One other mm -hmm. point I guess we should point out for the House is they redistricted, they, they redrew the district lines in Florida to try to get a couple of uh, districts that, had, you know, Biden had actually won to be a little more Republican leaning. And it looks like all Republicans won all three of those districts. Now, as you mentioned mm -hmm. at the beginning, when you need six and you can pick up three in one state, you're probably doing pretty good. Yeah, your odds are pretty good. Jim, we will be back to you in just a bit. Thank you so much. And don't be a stranger if you get news. Uh, Governor DeSantis, as we as we mentioned, won the state of Florida. He just gave his victory speech after being the projected winner over Democrat Car Charlie Crist, saying we chose facts over fear, education over indoctrination. Today, after four years, the people have delivered their verdict. Freedom is here to stay. Joining me now, Emily Jashinsky is she's culture editor at The Federalist and Ryan Grimm, who is the D.C. bureau chief for The Intercept. Together, they co-host the newly launched show Counterpoints. Thank you both so much for being here. Uh, so that's you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear him talk about education over indoctrination because he's been fighting some of the culture wars that are important to a lot of us, especially parents who have been trying to fight back against these woke agendas in our schools and actually just forgetting that getting them into the schools uh, has been a bonus in states like Florida over the past two years. So, Emily, let me start with you. What do you think of what we've seen so far? Surprised um, at going as expected? What? I think right now it's going pretty much exactly as expected. I'm looking at Georgia, Texas, and Florida. One of the most interesting races we've seen so so far has been a race that everyone expected the candidate who won to win, but one that I think the margin is very telling in and could be very positive for Republicans, and that would be Florida's 27th. That's where Maria Elvira Salazar cruised to re-election. I'm looking at the margins here in front of me in my notes. It was a big one. I mean, you could you could basically call Call this a blowout for her. That's a district that Daily Cost goes and looks at, you know, how districts have been redrawn um, and whether or not Trump or Biden would have won. The Daily Coast estimate is that that was like a razor thin margin, barely for Trump. And Maria Alvaro Salazar run it by, won it by double digits. That's in Miami. Um, and so that's something that you, you can see the Cuban vote, at least, if not maybe that speaks more broadly for the Hispanic vote. And that's where when we look at Texas, I want to see what the margins look like in uh, the the 34th. That's where Myra Flores is running. She's a congresswoman right now. She is up for re-election. If that's a big margin, that's another really positive sign for Republicans going forward, not just tonight. So in, in Georgia, you know, Herschel Walker needs to clear a 50% threshold, inching closer to that. It's a tight margin, but as more and more votes come in, he if he hits that 50 percent threshold, he doesn't have to go to a runoff. But in the bigger picture question of where things go after tonight, whether or not we are witnessing a political realignment, I would still encourage folks to be looking at Florida and Texas in particular. Mm. Ryan, the, um, the the strength of abortion as, as an issue uh, amongst these exit polls is, I have to say, is surprising to me. 32% saying inflation is their number one, 27% saying it's abortion. They trust the Democrats to handle that more than the Republicans by 52 to 42. Um, <laughs> the inflation obviously affecting a lot more people. And on that, they were, they trust the Republicans. But I suppose this could 
this could be influencing how some of these races are tighter than we would be seeing if we were expecting full tsunami. Yeah, I never quite understood why people thought that the issue of abortion would just kind of be a thing that was like in the news. Oh, the Supreme Court did that thing. That was a while ago. And now we're all moving on from that because people are getting pregnant constantly. Like this is this is an issue that has been <laughs> with thing. us for 50 years. Trust the being, science. Just trust the science. People are still getting pregnant, believe it or not. And abortion rights still matter to people, whether or not it's like on the front page of the New York Times. In fact, we uh, pull these up here, like in both Kentucky and Michigan, it looks like abortion rights are going to win. This is It's early, uh, but with more than half the votes counted in Kentucky, uh, that amendment is up by nine points. So the, the no, it, it's no in Kentucky. They were trying to put an abortion ban into the Constitution. Looks like Kentucky voters are going to reject that. Well, I mean, it, it could it could surge around, but I, I doubt it. Uh, and in Michigan, it's up by thirteen up by thirteen points right now. So both places, you know, where it was it's also on the ballot in California. That that one's not in doubt. Uh, but to see it in Kentucky, I think you know fits with the data that you're seeing there. And the only thing I'd add, I'd quibble with you on something you said earlier with Larry, which is that they always hope that young people show up and they never do. <laughs> young people very much showed up in 2018. And that was like the backbone of the, of the blue wave in 2018. You, we don't know yet what youth turnout is going to look like. And I think there is a link between abortion rights and youth turnout too. It's not mm-hmm. just women. Like this is, this is something that for all people under mm-hmm. 40, 30, that is, I think, resonates more than than uh, with older, more conservative voters. Well, I have to laugh. I mean, when, after the after Dobbs came out and you saw all the guys at Barstool Sports speaking out like this is an outrage. I'm like mm, a little on the nose, guys. Um, so. So, OK, young people could, in fact, turn, although in the midterm elections, it'd be very shocking to see a huge young person turnout. That's not that is that would definitely be atypical. Um, but we'll we'll find out. I, I do wonder, though, um, about these economic numbers, because they're so bad for the Republicans that my instincts tell me as the night goes on, these numbers are going to get stronger and stronger for the GOP. And what we're seeing now, you know how they talked about the, the red mirage. We're kind of we might be seeing a blue mirage, not that they're showing that they're winning, but they're showing greater strength than they're going to wind up with, Emily, because all the mail-in ballots are what's been counted first, and those tend to go blue. Right. I think what we're learning right now is whether the difference is going to be it's a good night for Republicans, a predictable night in a bad economy with an unpopular president, or a great night that's sort of buoyed by the fact that you have realignments happening, perhaps in Democratic areas with heavy Hispanic voters, where you're seeing marginal but significant shifts in the Black vote, particularly the Black male vote. Wisconsin is a state to watch for that. What happens in Milwaukee is a state to watch for, is a place to watch for that. And that's, we don't don't have any idea what's going to happen there. Um, and we won't for the next hour or so. So the difference between good and great is really significant. I think in this case, particularly because it bodes for, you know, whether or not it's politics as usual or a, a, a realignment, whether the realignment is real and significant and showing up in elections, not just in sort of uh, the media navel gazing uh, chatter. Uh, but actually showing up in the polls. So I think we still have a couple hours to go until we know whether or not this election is is evidence of that. What do we make of uh, the exit polls showing, Ryan, 68 percent to two thirds of midterm voters do not want to see Biden run again? My God, (laughs) that number. 
that that's th- those are numbers that you get when Democrats agree with Republicans. I mean, you know, basically every Republican, ex- except I bet it it would be even higher if it weren't for a significant number of Republicans who I suspect answered that question because they think he'd be beatable. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. like uh, you'd have a lot of Democrats actually who would say, "Hey, do you want Trump to want to, do you want Trump to run in twenty twenty four and you'd have a significant chunk you'd be like, "Yeah, because I think <laughs> that he is the only Republican that could lose in twenty twenty four and so in a poll like that, you would mistake those kind of partisan clever uh answers to that poll as people who actually support so I think the numbers would are actually even worse uh for for biden than than uh than that. <laughs> hmm. I mean, all the numbers here for him are are terrible direction of the country, um, the, the gas numbers, the economy numbers and so on, how angry the electorate is. Seventy three percent angry or dissatisfied with how he's doing. Um, so he's going to be watching this. And I do think tomorrow, even if the Republicans only win the House, we're going to start to see the pieces about how Joe Biden needs to go. The problem for them is there's no heir apparent. There's not there's, you know, Emily, I don't know who they go to. I don't. I don't sense a push like a push in this electorate to see the Democrats go farther left. And that would be Gavin Newsom. Right. Kamala Harris. I think we all know she can't do it. So I really do wonder, given these this terrible verdict for Joe Biden, what the Democrats do tomorrow after they realize they've lost at least the House of Representatives. You know, I think they continue to spin. And this puts me back in those days after Donald Trump won the election in 2016. And I thought to myself, well, if the host of Celebrity Apprentice winning the presidency over the former secretary of state doesn't shake the media and the political establishment into some form um, of self-correction, then literally nothing will. And they flirted with it for a couple of days. And then, you know, it was Russia collusion within a few months of that. Um, and what we saw was everybody sort of going in the other direction. And I think we've already seen evidence of that. I mean, we've seen evidence uh, already of, of people in the sort of chattering space, whether they're pundits um, or professional Democrats. You've had some, you know, introspection, Hillary Rosen on CNN saying she wasn't happy with the race Democrats won this cycle. But you're also already seeing Stacey Abrams, for instance, blame disinformation. We've seen that happen in Florida and Texas, Democrats blaming disinformation for losses with Hispanic votes. And we've already seen uh, intimidation and other things invoked by people like Rachel Maddow just tonight. Um, And and so I think it's going to continue to be the lack of self-introspection that really hurts Democrats going forward. And, and I think that ends up you, you end up keeping Joe Biden in a situation like that because you're blaming uh, phantom bigotry and phantom X, Y and Z um, without ever really grappling with those problems, unless you're at like third way or these sort of centrist places. <laughs> right. He actually want to take an honest look at it. Well, I'm I'm. Uh... I mean, I'm sure the Washington Post will get its list of election deniers going again tomorrow in the wake of the results tonight, just so we can be sure that we have accountability on on both sides. Ryan Grimm, Emily Jasinski, it's great to see you both. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Megan. Megan. Uh, Latest news coming out of NBC reporting now. uh, They are projecting that Democrat Michael Bennett will win re-election in the U.S. Senate uh, in Colorado over Republican construction uh, company owner Joe O'Day. This is not a huge surprise, but this was a dream of the Republicans who were getting kind of greedy on the projections, thinking maybe, maybe Colorado. Uh, Tom Bevan is back with me of RealClearPolitics.com. Maybe not is really how Colorado landed for the GOP tonight, Tom. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, the polls had this about a five or six point race. And so that's why I think uh, Republicans thought, OK, if we get a big wave, it'll be in play. Not happening. Um, you know, Washington is the other one that was uh, polls had that even closer, a three or four point race. Now, those votes are still out. I mean, they haven't even started counting in Washington state polls haven't even closed there yet. So uh, that remains to be seen. But overall, it looks like uh, that big wave for Republicans in in the uh, in the House and the Senate um, is it's not the dream is not going to happen. It's not going to be, you know, 50 seats in the House and five or six seats in the Senate. It's going to be less than that. And uh, it looks like Republicans are still going to take the House. Um, and, you know, you look at some of these Senate races, they're close. The numbers continue to move. Republicans, J.D. Vance is slightly ahead in Ohio. Ted Budd is ahead uh, in North Carolina. The Herschel Walker race is about a, you know, I think last, let's see what we have here. Um, right now we've got it at Warnock's 49.5, Walker's 48.6. So it's less than a point away. And both of them, again, got to remember if they don't, if neither of them get to 50, we're doing this again in a month. How much reporting? Sixth. So, uh, so how, we'll how much is reporting there? That, what percentage of the goes. vote is in? What, what percentage of the vote is in? What percentage of the vote is in, in Georgia? 73. 73. Okay. So still, so you still got, you know, 27% of the vote out again. Don't know exactly where that is uh, who the, or who that's going to benefit in the end. So it's going to be really, mm -hmm. real close. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's what you're seeing, Georgia. That's not a surprise, right? Nobody was projecting on any side that it would be some decisive victory by right. one or the other. What about Pennsylvania now? Because I'm sure these Republicans who are, I mean, look, Colorado, losing Colorado does not change the entire forecast for the GOP. They haven't lost one right. of their big states that they needed to hold or that they were hoping for as a reach state. Um, but what's ha so what's happening so far in Pennsylvania? What's happening in Arizona? What's happening in Nevada? What's happening in New Hampshire? Yeah. So Pennsylvania, we got 32 percent reporting and Fetterman's up 54 to 43. So now that number was I mean, when we started, it was 83 to 19. So, you know, they're starting to count some some of the uh, in-person vote today. And Oz is obviously closing that gap. I expect it will continue to close. And again, a ton of vote left to count out there. Um, we don't have anything going on in Arizona at the moment. Uh, we don't have anything going on in Nevada at the moment. And you look at New Hampshire and they've got about 33 percent of the vote in right now. Uh, Maggie Hassan's up 18 points on on Bulldog. So. Um, again, a lot of votes still to be counted in that state as well. Yeah. Thirty three percent of the vote there. I saw something suggesting that she was outperforming Hillary in some of these districts. Um, I don't know that that tells us much. It's not that, you know, Hillary did so great. She did win the popular vote, but she didn't win the election. Um, but is there anything in the tea leaves now? Because you stay farther east, we can actually look at more tea leaves. We know more about the vote. We know more about the early vote tallies out west. We're waiting for people to finish up. Um, right. So any tea leaves in New Hampshire? No, I mean, just remember, though, when Hillary ran in 2016, it was a very close state. Not so much in 2020. Joe Biden won it by about seven and a half points. Again, you have Chris Sununu on the top of the ticket, popular incumbent Republican governor, uh, gets a lot of votes. But this was a late primary. It happened in September. It was a fairly divisive primary. And Bulldog wins and Sununu comes out and says, you know, I'm not voting for him. I won't endorse him. Uh, you know, called him, I think, a, you know, bad names, election denier, all that. Um, and so that, I think, is might have put a damper on his numbers, even though he was able to close at the end. We'll see how many crossover votes there were in this race, but that could end up being the difference. Mm.
Tom, we will be back to you uh, soon, I hope. Joining me now, author and journalist Barry Weiss. Barry edits the Substack newsletter Common Sense, and she hosts the podcast Honestly. Barry's fired up about the New York Times tips for readers on how to deal with this <laughs> the election results. I, Barry. I can't get enough. I'm here with my weighted blanket. Yeah, I don't know if you <laughs> saw it. But the New York Times offered five ways to soothe election stress, which include yes. tips like plunge your face into a bowl of ice water for 15 to 30 seconds. Maybe I'll do that. <laughs> Breathe like a baby was one of them. Another oh was something called five finger breathing. I live in L.A., so you would imagine that I would know what that is. But, um, you know, I, I'm expecting them to update this with uh, whatever, whatever the next uh, recommendation will be, maybe hot milk and cookies uh, for, for, for the millions of Americans who are terrified both by what they are seeing tonight. This reminds me after Trump won when our schools in New York City at the time and so many others around the country gave the kids a day off. They were like, oh, my God. And of course, everyone's going to leave school to go to the Women's March and everyone needs counseling. It was just a presumption that you were distraught and that your child needed therapy. Going into tonight, understanding that it was very likely the Republicans were going to take at least the House. They knew what their needed, their readers needed. And I would venture to say they were exactly right, Barry. Yeah, I mean, red wave, red tsunami, red trickle. I suspect many people are going to be calling in for mental health days uh, across the coast of this country. <laughs> right. And and we'll become election deniers like that. You wait, it's going to be fun. I'm going to tell my team first thing in the morning, get the tapes ready. Get like, let's see who does it. And let's get the hip- hypocritical tapes going. Um, yeah, one have, of the I things that I haven't been watching cable yet, but I'm going to do that yeah. after. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll compile the outs and, and you'll see and you can use them. Um, one of the big issues that we're looking at tonight, though, it's not it's not the top issue like inflation and it's not the second issue, um, which is abortion is crime. Uh, the voters do care about crime and that re- was reflected in the polls. It's got it's basically tied with gun policy uh, get, coming in at 12 percent care about that as one of their most important issues. So it goes inflation, abortion, crime, gun policy and immigration coming in at 10. That was a little earlier in the evening. That might have been up- updated since then. Um, crime has been something that Dr. Oz ran on big time in Pennsylvania to tighten that those numbers when he was getting killed by Fetterman in the polls. Uh, we saw it in Michigan where um, Tudor Dixon was trying to take aim at uh, Governor uh, Whitmer. We've seen it in state after state where you, you know, the, the more sort of reddish candidates have said this Democrat is soft on crime and, and they are to blame for the numbers. How big a factor do you think that is tonight? And what do you think is happening? I mean, do you think it's the reason Lee Zeldin even had a chance coming into today? In exactly right. I think I think of states like New York. Oregon, not states that you think of as being up for grabs in any way at all. And yet somehow they're in play. Right. In New York, you have Republican Lee Zeldin running against incumbent Kathy Hochul. And the entire time he's basically running on crime. And she's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. You'll remember in the debate between the two of them, she said something like, I don't know why you care so much about that. Mm-hmm. I can't quite think of a of a clip that would be more out of touch with voters. And then a few days ago in an interview outside of the subway, she was asked about safety riding the subway. And of course, there have been a spate of just unbelievably horrific attacks often being carried out by people with uh, multiple uh, previous counts. And she said that Zeldin was hyperventilating about crime. Now, all major crimes, with the exception of murder, are up in New York City right now. And you know it's bad when Stephanie Rule on MSNBC, this happened a few days ago, was interviewing Kathy Hochul. And she said, we don't feel safe. I don't go on the subway. 
She talked mm-hmm. about going into Rite Aids and CVSs, and it's this is the case in LA, this is the case in San Francisco, this is the case in parts of New York, and not just having the razors behind lock and key, but having basic necessities like toothbrushes and toothpaste and tampons, because that's how regular um, shoplifting has gotten in places like New York City. Now, in Oregon, it's it's a sort of similar story, right? You don't think of Oregon as a place where a pro-life, pro-gun rights candidate for governor would even have a chance, right? And yet Christine Drazen is in a dead heat in the race for governor. And there's a reason for that. We just ran an excellent piece on our Substack Common Sense by Leighton Woodhouse, who went to Portland, not exactly known as a MAGA stronghold, and talked to all of these liberals and Democrats who are saying, basically... I'm voting for her. And the reason I'm voting for her, even though I'm pro-life, or sorry, even though I'm pro-choice, even though I'm a lifelong Democrat, even though I'm gay, you know, and she put out an ad to this effect, is simply because the city has become unlivable because of crime, because of homelessness, because of basically drug policies that have allowed for just ab- for open use. Um, mm-hmm. People talk about the city being sham- in shambles, how they're scared men and women, to walk alone at night in the streets of Portland. So as much as Democrats wanted to sort of run this election on questions of, you know, democracy being in peril, for people who are living in neighborhoods where, I'm speaking of mine right now, catalytic converters are getting stolen out of people's cars on a regular basis, you know, that just rates higher than things like democracy and abstract issue or climate change for people. Do you think in the in the way that the last go round, the tape of um, of uh, Abigail Spamberger down in Virginia went viral, it got leaked of her talking to her Democratic colleagues saying this defund the police stuff is toxic. We we cannot go forward on this messaging. And that was brave because it was you know, that was 2020 that she said that now we're two years later uh, and you still you still have some of these races. Um, being dictated by messaging like that. Mandela Barnes against Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. He's a defund the policer, the Democrat Mandela. He's uh, he's a no bail guy. Uh, Kathy Hochul has been dealing with the no bail uh, policies here in New York, Uh, in New York City. They took away money from the police before they then quietly said, oh, shoot, that was a bad idea. Here here it is back again. So I wonder whether at a minimum this election is going to put an end to that nonsense once and for all. I really hope so. I mean, I think the convenient thing and the thing that we'll surely be hearing on many of the cable stations tonight, you know, is that the Democrats had a messaging problem um, or, you know, the spin about disinformation and misinformation and the things that I'm sure are already being said on those networks. But I think it's really simple. You know, people this election was about people being totally dissatisfied with the direction of the country, dissatisfied with the economy, dissatisfied with crime, many women dissatisfied with the repeal of Roe v. Wade. But again, that's a real issue. These are real issues that affect actual people's lives. And you could imagine, you know, what would have happened if Democrats in some of these places had said, you're right, Take an accountability for things like rising crime, take an accountability for the price of gas, take an accountability um, for, and we haven't mentioned this yet, COVID lockdowns, mm-hmm. right? And learning loss and the kinds of things that parents across this country are just beginning to understand the full ramifications of. Those are the kind of people that want accountability for their life getting worse over the past few years. And that's really what the election's about. And, you know, for the sake of the Democratic Party, I really hope they're able to look in the mirror and see that. Having this TikTok videos with, you know, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer talking about people with periods 
rather than women is not the way to win the election. Mm. This is what's so annoying about an exchange that went viral from The View the the other day. Sonny Hostin said that because in the wake of the Wall Street Journal report that women, suburban women, were now favoring the GOP over the Democrats after a 27 point swing by by 15 percentage points. And she couldn't understand it and said that is like a cockroach favoring raid. And so finally, no, no one reacted to that until this week. One of her co-hosts brought it up because virtually everybody on the right or even in the middle said, what the hell kind of comment is that? Right. For all the reasons you just stated, there are really good reasons for women of all persuasions, Democrat, independent and Republican, to consider going team red this year. Uh, and the following exchange took place. Listen, saw five. Last week you that. called white Republican women cockroaches. Actually, I didn't. And but you said they're acting let me, like cockroaches. I used in a sound rhetoric. Let me, let me, let me answer that. that. Okay. You said I called white women roaches. Go ahead and my respond. mother's a white woman. So Go I would respond. say that. Go ahead and respond. Second of all, what I used was a metaphor, really more in a simile. A simile. And I said, white women Republicans, I just read a poll that the suburbans are now voting Republican. That is like roaches voting for raid now by the way that wasn't my joke let me finish that wasn't my joke that was john leguizamo's joke it's a joke that i've used on this show a few weeks ago let me finish referring to latinos and no one had anything to say about it sec the last thing i'll say is i continued by saying do they want to be in gilead do they want to lose their rights they're voting we against their point. first I'm interest i'm trying to make you consider so you are you, you are before. actually no i want you to consider pers- what i said no no that is what you said what you said is it's like then roaches don't say, assembly don't I say care that i but do you understand roaches. why people All right, we think that she absolutely did She said white woman getting ready to pull the lever for the Republicans are like roaches voting for raid. And her mother may, in fact, be a white woman. But I'm going to venture a guess that she wasn't a white woman who voted Republican or votes Republican because those are the ones Sonny hates. And all you need to do is tune into The View for two minutes on any given day to know that. I make it a, I make it a policy for myself not to watch the view. So this is the first time that I was seeing those clips. Um, Smart. Unsurprising. Uh, and, and I guess what I'll say is just the, the total lack of curiosity about what might drive people of whatever race, but especially angry moms who we saw in Virginia in the governor's race. Right. Glenn Youngkin. Why did why are so many lifelong liberals, so many lifelong Democrats, so many women, even pro-choice women, willing to, frankly, in some cases, hold their nose and vote for the Republican. It is because of the past few years and policies that have deeply impacted negatively their families. And I I really think that the covid hangover is an enormous part of this for a lot of people. You know, the fact that these parents were at home, often holding down jobs, seeing their kids not learning basic math, basic English. And we're supposed to what? Just move on and forget that that ever happened, right? Elections are about accountability. Elections are about reckonings and holding the people who put policies to account. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here. Uh, Mm. And I hope I didn't use any similes or bad metaphors (laughs) in that answer. Not that that would save you from the outrage you would justifiably cause if you were to do what she did. 
Barry Weiss, so good to see you, my friend. I, I would love to talk again more soon and in more depth. We will. Great to see you too, Megan. Lots of love. All right. The New York Times needle issuing the latest projection saying the House is leaning Republican with a 72 percent chance of control. The Senate remains a toss up. Back with the very latest is Jim Garrity of National Review. Jim, what's the biggest headline you're seeing right now? Well, look, as we discussed in the last segment, Republicans are going to win the House. They needed to not trip over their own shoelaces and they were going to pick up seven seats. A lot of factors working in their favor, redistricting, state of the economy. Um, so that that's not really surprising. The only question is how big is the majority? As I mentioned last segment, it's not going to be in that 35 to 40, the really big margin of that. It's going to be a little bit less than that, but it's going to be sizable. And as I said, Kevin McCarthy is going to have enough Republicans to probably have a manageable caucus uh, starting in January 2023. I think the outlook for Republicans in the Senate you're looking more at like a 51, 52 majority if things break the right way, not that 53, 54 majority. Um, I think you know, right now, New Hampshire is one of those states that counts the vote very slow. The polls closed at eight o'clock. It's a little bit after 10. And I just checked. They have 25 percent of the votes that are counted. Apparently, they could really use some lessons from Florida. Uh, oh but God. Don Bolduc is you know, down significantly. Now, this may be Maggie Hassan's, you know, parts of the state that are reporting first. I wouldn't yeah. panic yet. And again, 75 percent of the state still has to report. So you don't want to draw any too many uh, far reaching conclusions from this. But I don't think even in the great scenarios, could you say, oh, Republicans have got that one right? That was going to be one where Bolduc was going to win by one or two percentage points if things broke his way. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio, North Carolina, Wisconsin haven't gotten calls on any of these yet, but I think they're all looking pretty Republican. Uh, Vance is now in the lead again. Ted Budd is in the lead in, in North Carolina. Um, Ron Johnson had led the polls and looks pretty good in Wisconsin. I do think in Wisconsin, they said they may not have all, they were said because of mail-in ballots and late ballots and, and all that other stuff, early votes that they had, they probably wouldn't have it until early morning hours of Wednesday, possibly Wednesday afternoon. So I think that one's Ron, Ron Johnson's got that one, but we may not know until tomorrow. I will be here, Megan, if you'll be here. Um, <laughs> we'll do it. Georgia, I, you know, at this point, I think this is going to a runoff. Uh, right now, that New York Times doohickey, uh, Herschel Walker has 49.1%. Raphael Warnock, 49%. The libertarian Chase Oliver is still getting just under 2%. Get that it's guy out of there. It's tough to hit 50 when somebody that else is annoying. taking that, those last couple of percentage points in an evenly fought <laughs> race. So guess right. good luck. Good news, Georgia. You get to go through this all over again. One more month of attack ads, uh, mm. one more month of uh, you know, it's like it's like Groundhog Day. You get six more weeks of winter of, you oh know, God. attack ads going back and forth in that center race. They got to change. So a lot rule. of this then comes down to Arizona and Nevada. You talked about the trouble with the polling places in uh, Arizona earlier. I don't know about you as having flashbacks to office space and the jokes about the printer that did not work and their <laughs> desire to take the printer out and smash it when they said the whole issue was a matter of uh, of printer ink not being dark enough for the machines to scan. Uh, but like I said, the, the, court, the judge said there's no evidence. No one has been hasn't who wanted to vote has not been able to vote. And then there's Nevada, where um, John Ralston is a guy who writes for the Nevada Independent. He's been covering Nevada politics for a really long time knows it backwards and forwards. And it was kind of very odd because he was going through the early votes and he doesn't know how everybody voted. But, you know, if a registered Republican, they're probably going to vote for Republicans. Registered Democrat, they're probably going to vote for a Democrat. And he kept going through the early vote. It looked really good for Republicans. And then he did his final prediction and he predicted that Republicans would lose the Senate race. Uh, 
win the governor's race and the Democrats would hold on on three of the House races out there, which would kind of be a significant underperformance considering the state of the economy, high inflation out in Nevada, all kinds of other things that make you think, huh, I kind of thought Republicans would do better. Well, right now, it looks like Republicans are doing well by that kind of back of the envelope math, but they may not have everything counted until, you know, well into tomorrow. So I don't think we're going to know tonight who has the Senate. I think it's going to drive mm -hmm. people crazy. I think this is the mm -hmm. fodder that makes people think, ah, there's there's some shenanigans going in. They're going to find votes in a trunk of a car or something like that. Um, this may well be ordinary snafus and the sort of thing that happens, but this does make people feel suspicious. Um, and I think that... Uh, it's going to be kind of frustrating for Republicans that, you know, they kind of maybe they they got a little, I don't want to say full of themselves, but just, you know, the 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 hype of this wave, the hype of the size and the scale of this wave uh, looks a little big. You know, the network's called uh, the state of Colorado for uh, incumbent Michael Bennett pretty much as soon as the polls closed. Joe O'Day was always a, a underdog out there, but I think Republicans were hoping it was going to be close enough so that they couldn't call it immediately, you know, mm, give okay. them, make them sweat a little. Uh, mm -hmm. That does not appear to have happened. And if you couldn't make Colorado close, it's kind of hard to see a scenario where you'd make Washington state close. Mm -hmm. Patty Murray looked a little bit nervous earlier in this cycle. They had a very good candidate, Republican smiley out there. But uh, I think that this is probably, you know, all the ones that look like, you know, reaches where Republicans needed a lucky break. I don't think they're going to get those lucky breaks tonight. Well, and we talked about how tight it is in uh, Michigan and how that ballot initiative on abortion is drawing mm. a lot of uh, support, trying to make they, what they want. The ballot initiative basically says, sh should the law look like it looked during Roe, um, where uh, you can abort prior to viability. And um, that's apparently getting a ton of support. And so it almost reminded me of the the Carl Rove getting the gay marriage initiative all over the ballots in 2004 to help George W. Bush win re-election. They needed to get people out to the vote somehow. Back then, uh, that was a motivating issue and people credited his brilliance in doing it. That could put uh, Gretchen Whitmer back in uh, in the governor's house again over Tudor Dixon, who is very popular. Can I just ask you this question? Glenn Greenwald has a good tweet. And as always, he raises good, good questions. Uh, it reads as follows. Quote, we don't say election night anymore. It's now election month. End quote. NBC's Lester Holt and Savannah Guthrie having a hearty laugh over the fact that the U.S., the world's richest country, can no longer count votes or decide elections in one night or even in one week. Yeah, good point. I mean, there's a reason that Florida works as well as it works. And ideally, we wouldn't have to go through that kind of a hanging Chad catastrophe and the other 49 in order to get results. But it's kind of absurd, Jim, that we can't get real results from all these states for several days or a week or in the case of Georgia, another month. Yeah, I, you know, I, I was wondering if my memory of past elections was kind of through rose-colored glasses of not saying, well, we're going to, you know, maybe you'd have one or two races where it'd be really close and you'd have to wait until the next day to hear, you know, how it shook out. But the, by and large, you knew who won. The networks called it. The networks had confidence in their calls. You didn't see something like, say, in 2000, where they called the state of Florida for Gore while the polls were still open in the panhandle and then said, oh, wait, never mind. It's too close to call. <laughs> <laughs> that was an infamous moment. And you know, I almost feel like that was the moment where all of our confidence in our election started to get a little <laughs> shaky back there. Um, I know. I, I think you're correct. Look, some of this is undoubtedly states that will not. Most states, they start if you if you do it an early vote or you mail it in early, they will take it out and they'll count it so that when you know the polls close on election night, 
they can add it into the polls and they can get that those votes counted very quickly. Um, there are a couple of states, including Pennsylvania and I believe Wisconsin, that do not allow them to do that so that you have these basically these giant stack of envelopes and you can't really count them until uh, they start getting until the polls close on election. But it's, a, it's also like, why is there a giant stack of envelopes? Remember when we used to have there was a voting day and you had to go to the mm. polls and you had to make an effort. And part of the effort what like the effort was part of why it was a big responsibility and how we sort of separated the wheat from the chaff. Like you had to really want it. Yeah. And it's one thing if you're disabled, you can't make it to the polls. We'd always accommodate that. But now it's basically like, just go ahead and mail it in at any point And look at what happened in Pennsylvania. All these votes were mailed in before they even had the debate. Now, were those people who were on the fence, were those people who, when they saw the debate, might have been persuaded to go another way? I don't know. But I'd have a lot more faith in the integrity of the ultimate vote if it were more controlled. You know, mail-in yeah. ballots, ballots make people feel a little hinky. Yeah, I, look, my home state, and I believe the state of Minnesota, both allow people to start casting early votes in late September, more than 30 days wow. before the election, which strikes me as really early. Now, if you want it a week before, you think you're going to be traveling, you're afraid of, uh, uh, you know, getting sick. Um, in fact, really, I remember infamously the primary here in Virginia back in 2008 between uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Here in Virginia, the polls closed at seven and we had an ice storm. I believe it was February. And of course, you had cars slipping and sliding all over the roads because we don't know how to drive here. And as a result of that, people ended up, ended up not getting to the polls because traffic was terrible. There were car accidents and stuff like that. Yeah, all of this to me is a lesson of like, don't, you know, don't let it go. Vote before, uh, vote before you go to work. If you can get it at lunch hour, go do it at lunch hour. Um, but yeah, you, there's a circumstance in which you have people voting five months, five weeks before election day, six weeks before election day. That seems ludicrous. And I think the other thing is good candidates like uh, Fetterman, look, we can all now see why he was avoiding doing, holding that debate. You have yes. a responsibility to hold that debate before the early voting really gets started. He, he was committing now, a fraud on the electorate. I mean, honestly, that's what was happening. Can I just tell you, I'll take you a walk down memory lane. My Nana was born in 1915 um, and her mother was one of those women who was alive when she couldn't vote and then she could and then it became constitutional for her to vote and she lost a leg to diabetes and she still dragged herself down to that polling station because so important was it to her to make sure that she could vote and let me tell you that the supports for people who are disabled i'm sure were not so great back then i just feel mm. like today people are like i'm busy i'm not going to so can't shouldn't we raise the civic responsibility a level higher i stole the last word i gotta move on i'm coming back to you jim garrity you're the greatest. Go get some more info and I'll I'll come right back. All right. Okay. Want to bring you this news. ABC News now reporting that Christy Noam has won re-election in South Dakota. This is not this is not a surprise. Uh, and NBC reporting John Kennedy has won re-election in Louisiana. Uh, joining me now is Dennis Prager. He's a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, columnist and founder of the great Prager University. Dennis, great to have you here tonight. So how are you feeling based on what we've seen so far, incomplete though it Well, may let be. me just first answer how am I feeling because I just got off the plane from Denmark. I gave a speech in Copenhagen this weekend oh. and you're my first person outside of my wife that I'm the first American that I'm talking to. <laughs> so uh, happily the plane arrived on time. I've been traveling for about 18 hours uh, and, and it's uh, wonderful to be with you. So now you're asking how I'm feeling about the elections. 
Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Lay it on me. Okay. So uh, I have been asked uh, everywhere from uh, L.A. where I live, uh, throughout the country, and by phone, and in interviews, and in Denmark, uh, well, so how do you think the elections will go? I tell told everybody I have no prediction. I think uh, that people like to talk themselves into optimism because people prefer optimism to pessimism. Uh, I was not a pessimist. I was not an optimist. Uh, but I, uh, I, I, I did not quite see the reason for uh, all of the optimism. What I think, and this is the, the point I'd like to make, I think that a lot of Americans like myself think after the horrors of the pandemic and what was done to kids, seeing what children's hospitals are doing to children, seeing how many hundreds of thousands of kids are being ruined in this lie that they're changing sexes and don't feel that they're their own sex when they're 11 years of age, and seeing what has happened to the economy by the suppressing of a natural uh, energy that we have in our country, and, and so much more, you would think that if there was ever a time where there would be a, a, a tsunami of objection to democratic left-wing rule, it would be now. So I can I have a I have a sad thing to report. I'm not going to lose sleep over it because I just know I, I I sleep well because I fight, and I always recommend to people if you want to sleep well, fight. Uh, but uh, I, I if the if the Republicans do not do well, I can't imagine an election in which they would have better circumstances uh, on, on their behalf. So that's somewhat well, of a dark thought, well. but. That's it. What about I, I mean, I can challenge that because if Dobbs had not come down when it did, you know, the Republicans were steaming through to what looked like a bloodbath election. Uh, and then Dobbs was handed down, reversing Roe versus Wade and their fortunes changed. Right. Democrats became much more motivated in the wake of Dobbs, even though it was a dream for, you know, the pro-life right. And, and I think they still are happy with it, even if they don't win this election in the way that they wanted. They're still going to be happy with Dobbs. But. I do think it, it would have been more favorable to the Republicans if that decision had not come down at, at the time that it did. Yes, that's fair to say. And look, you know, it's funny when you first said Dodd, I thought you said God. So I thought, yeah, maybe God did come down. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it really looks like. Uh, well, at least the devil, if not God. I mean, Trump Trump was a shoo in for re-election un, until, un, uh, until COVID. I mean, it, it, it does seem like there's this consistent bad luck, as it were, hurting the country. Forget hurting the Republicans, hurting the country. But yeah, so what? So what are people saying that because I'm so angry at the decision, which which of course did not render uh, uh, nationally in any way abortion illegal, because they're so angry about that, they're okay with what is being done to born children, like 10-year-olds, 11, 12. They're okay with children's hospitals saying, visit us, we'll give you a mastectomy. Uh, I, I, again, I just say, what, what would it take if those things don't overshadow uh, the, the Supreme Court decision on, on abortion? Yeah. And let me tell you, there is some information on that. I mean, just a bit. But in the latest exit polls, uh, our society's values on gender identification and sexual orientation changing for the better. Only 27 percent 
say that it is. And 50% say, no, it's changing for the worse. People are not getting more accepting of this nonsense as it gets crazier and crazier. They're but saying, they're voting for the party on. that does. No, that's well, maybe, maybe. I mean, some are for sure. But, you know, yeah. the night is young. Anything could happen. Um, but I, on the question of abortion, I am interested to ask you because they say uh, abortion should be legal in all or most cases, all or most 60 percent. Yes illegal in all or most cases, 36. Now, I will say a lot of people misunderstand this question traditionally when it gets handed to them by pollsters. They 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 don't think when they think all cases, it's like they're not thinking, oh, up to the moment of birth. Right. I mean, like it has to be phrased to them in exactly that way for them to side as we know they do, which is predominantly on the side of no, not in the third trimester, always in the first trimester. They most women should be able to do it. Uh, and in the second trimester, it depends. It depends on where you are. That's generally how the American public feel. But in any event, big support here. And 60% say they felt dissatisfied and angry about the way Dobbs was decided. There's no question this has been a factor today. I agree with you. Yeah. But um, there are I so many gigantic issues that will determine the fate of this society. It, it, it's, it is it is remarkable that that would be determinative. Uh, I, I would love I would love to ask somebody who who was not a radical feminist, let's say, just mm. why would you vote on that and not all these other issues that uh, that the Democrats are responsible for ruining? And I, I would just like to hear their answer. I I because I, I can't come up with a with a good answer to that. So because of the abortion decision, again, as I said earlier, you're okay with hundreds of thousands of kids being given puberty blockers that, that will ruin now. their lives. Can I tell uh, you this, though, Dennis? Let me ask you this. Because my feeling is the Republicans screwed up on this. You know, they weren't prepared for Dobbs and me the messaging that they needed around it. They finally found their footing about two months in and settled on a you know, around 15 weeks, sort of the European standard is fine by us. Some of us would like a full ban, but we understand that's not really acceptable to the American populace. So like 15 weeks with exceptions for rape and incest and so on. They finally found that footing. But the Democrats ran the summer with it's going to be ruled illegal. The Republicans are going to pass a law in the U.S. Congress banning it in all 50 states. By the way, that would never be upheld. They do not have the power to do such a thing. And the Republicans floundered. And I do think you have to give the Democrats their due in scoring points on an issue with their base, at least, that was popular for them. And we're seeing right. we're seeing uh, that. Yes, now. I agree with you. I I, I simply don't understand why the Republicans don't take the the issue of who is ruining your children, who decided to keep them out of school, teachers unions, the, the, the handmaiden of the Democratic Party. We have so many powerful points, and I so rarely hear them made. All right, let me give you um, an update. ABC reporting right now, there are about 2000 votes separating Warnock and Walker in the Georgia Senate race. I mean, it is tight down there. And each man has fought for every single one of those votes. Boy, I'm really glad that that Maricopa County voting situation didn't happen in Georgia because <laughs> all hell would be breaking loose. Um, also, just to let you know, speaking of that 
Maricopa County thing, the state officials have apologized for the issue in Arizona, saying it will not affect anything. They say they say all the votes will be counted. Well, that could be true if they all cast provisional ballots. But what Carrie Lake and others are saying and Harmeet Dillon is saying is some were told you don't have to cast a provisional ballot. You can just go to another polling station and cast an actual live ballot there. And then they found out the hard way when they got to place number two. That wasn't true. Um, We're going to hear more about that. Here's a question for you from one of our YouTube watchers, Dennis. If Georgia goes to a runoff again, 2000 and nobody has over 50 percent right now, do you think that favors Walker or Warnock? And and I'll add this addendum. Uh, yeah, so on. I, does it I, does it I, matter? I, who, I don't what, make what predictions, but I but if you're just asking favor, I think mm-hmm. it would favor Walker. Uh, I I think that the the people of Georgia would then be voting not so much for their senator, but for very possibly like last time, who will control the Senate. And then the Republicans have their powerful arguments to be made, the ones that I have just made, if in fact they'll make them. But uh, literally only God knows. I, I, look, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I, I just came back from Europe at a wonderful time. I, I, look, I, I look at these societies that are more and more controlled by strong state governments. People love it. People, the, 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 I, I received a free speech award at the, at the Danish parliament. That's why I was there. And uh, as I said to them, let's be honest, the human species prefers to be taken care of than to be free. Freedom is a value. Freedom is not a, an instinct. And that's, that's what we're seeing in America. The, country, the freest country in human history is abandoning freedom for the for the, the 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 devil deal you give me your vote and i will give you goodies you lose your freedom and i will give you even more goodies and it seems that half of america has bought that deal and i uh, i'm sorry to you know not be upbeat but e- even if we win the thought that half of america including many of its youth think that way, that freedom, like 45% of young Americans say they believe in free speech, but not for hate speech, not understanding. That's the whole point of free speech, that it allows for speech that you think is hate speech. We're, we're, we're in a crisis and we have to fight. You're absolutely right. We've talked about that before. It's easier for some than it is for others. But as you point out, as you have pointed out, you can help the fighters. If you're not, if you're not a fighter, you can help the fighters. Uh, and some That's of these right. wars are really uh, just objectively worth fighting no matter your political stripes. Um, an update for you, uh, the Pennsylvania Secretary of State pleading for patience during its multi-day counting process. Going back down south to Georgia, uh, Herschel Walker now in the lead by about 16,000, but again, it is neck and neck and no one is over 40%. It's under 50%. Uh, the New York Times report, Times reporting the latest on the Ohio Senate, JD Vance at 54%, Tim Ryan at 46% with 75% reporting. I mean, look, this is just my prediction, but I think they'll call that soon. The, JD Vance has been ahead in the polls by a considerable amount for a long time. Um, Dennis, I love hearing from you. And tonight is no exception. Thank you for being on with us. 
It's a joy to be with you. And welcome home. Uh, going to head on over back to Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics, who's taken a close look at the results coming in everywhere, including from Arizona. All right, Tom, what are we seeing? What's our headline? So we finally have some numbers in Arizona, about 42 percent reporting. Um, and right now, uh, Mark Kelly in the Senate race has a pretty sizable lead over Blake Masters, about 15, just under 15 points. But again, that's uh that's not necessarily indicative of where that race is going to end up. I think this one's obviously going to be very, very close. Um, in the governor's race, you have uh, Katie Hobbs leading uh, Carrie Lake by, well, 10 points, basically, at this point. Again, 42% reporting there. We also have a uh, look at Wisconsin, about 50% of the votes in, in Wisconsin. You've got Tony Evers, the incumbent Democrat governor there, is up about uh, six points in that race right now. And on the Senate side, you've got Ron Johnson, who is trailing Mandela Barnes by uh, about, uh, what is that? 1.4, I think. So again, a lot of votes still to come in. And again, probably uh, vote from the more rural parts of the state, which would obviously favor the Republicans in both of those races. Yet to come in. Can I ask you about uh, Virginia? Because we saw Abigail Spamberger, the Democrat. She's moderate. She held on to her seat. Um, then we saw the Democrat in Virginia 10 hold on to their seat as well. The third Virginia race that we'd been looking at, Jim Garrity had called this uh, to our attention in his morning jolt yesterday or the day before, was Virginia 2. And that was the one most gettable for the GOP. And it appears they did get it. Uh, Republican right. State Senator Jen Kiggins uh, projected to defeat the Democrat there, Elaine Luria, in Virginia's second congressional district. That's a significant win for the GOP. Uh, the Democrat who just went down was part of the January 6th committee. And so on our subject, you know, on our discussion of ripple, uh, like surfable wave tsunami, <laughs> how does uh, the GOP taking over Virginia too change the calculation, if at all? Well, I think it's it's a you know, Ripple was winning one of those three, sort of wave-ish was winning two of the three, and Tsunami was winning all three. I mean, remember, okay. the Virginia 10 was a Biden plus 19 district. I mean, so wow. that the fact that that was even close shows that, you know, there was a strong Republican candidate there and Republicans turned out. Spanberger was sort of the, the middle ground. That was a Biden plus seven district. And that's why Republicans thought they really had a good chance uh, to get that because we had seen in past uh, elections in Virginia last year, we saw a shift of ten points or more in some of these uh, some of these districts. So I think that was disappointing for Republicans. They thought they were going to do. They thought they were going to get two out of those three. Uh, Virginia ten was sort of a you know was was a, was a stretch and and the dream, but um, obviously okay. they didn't get they didn't get that and they didn't get Virginia seven. But well, or did they stand by? Uh, Chad Pergram, my old, my old colleague at uh, Fox News, who knows a lot and is a solid reporter, uh, reporting as follows from colleague Caroline McKee, GOP Virginia House candidate Yesley Vega suggests she has not lost to Democrat Virginia Representative Spanberger, says there are, quote, thousands of votes that are yet to be counted. Now, having done this a lot, Carl Rove. <laughs> with many others, it is not unusual for a candidate who is projected to lose when there's still outstanding raw vote to be tallied to say, I haven't lost. You have to count all the votes. But the way the gurus do this behind the scenes is they see where the outstanding vote is in terms of the counties 
and what the percentage is of Dems and Republicans in those counties. And they make their very well educated guess on how it's likely to go that there's they're calculating. I imagine there's just not enough outstanding vote for this Republican to overcome the lead that Spanberger has. But what do you make of that reporting by Chad? Yeah, I mean, that's not terribly surprising um, for the reasons that you mentioned. But, you know, we'll have to see what the final numbers are. It's probably prudent if it's if it's that close for her to say, listen, let's wait. You know, she's there's no need necessarily to run out and concede the race before all the votes are counted if it's really, really close. Um, And it is so. So that doesn't surprise me. Mm. Okay. All right. Go, go gather some more information and uh, we'll we'll come back to you and and get the update. Tom Bevin, such a pleasure Uh, here with me now. One of the most brilliant minds in all of Silicon Valley. David Sachs is a founding member of PayPal. He's a venture capitalist who now runs Kraft Ventures, and he may also be running Twitter right now. (laughs) He is also the co-host of the very popular tech podcast, All In, with with my good pal, Jason, (laughs) Jason, who I David Sachs, I heard Jason say that he actually loves me. So all is forgiven. No, that's good to hear. I'll I'll pass that on. But I have to <laughs> I have to thank you for that introduction, but I have to disavow I'm not not running Twitter. Yeah, I'm just doing what rumor. investors do in Silicon Valley, which is try to be helpful. The uh, reports that somehow I'm one of the people in charge there are, are definitely uh, exaggerated. Okay. But Elon's your friend. You used to work together. Yes. And is yes. it so you're trying to help him steady the yes, ship? I'm helping a friend, exactly, until he puts in place his permanent team. Okay. What do you make of all the blowback he's getting for what he's done so far? Well, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's certainly overblown. It's exaggerated. He hasn't even had a chance to look at the content moderation policies yet. He's just trying to get his arms around the business. This is a company that's losing something like four million dollars a day, and so he's first just trying to right size the company, rationalize the cost structure, uh, start generating some more revenue, and then he's said that he plans to look at uh, content moderation uh, to basically create a a council that's going to arbitrate these issues and he wants to restore free speech, but he needs a little bit of time to do that. He has not made those changes yet. And yet we have this hysterical reaction on the part of, you know, the sort of this professional elite who is very much on the side of censorship and they want to hoard their blue checks and they don't want to see Elon sell them to, uh, you know, to increase revenue. So there is this, um, you know, Elon's called it this, this sort of battle between peasants and lords. You know, you've got the average user on Twitter would like to be able to get a blue check and the, the lords refuse to, um, to to sort of decentralize and democratize access. So that's it's an interesting battle going on right now. I don't know what you're referring to, a hysterical reaction. Do you mean something <laughs> like this from Whoopi Goldberg? Watch. I, I'm getting off. I'm yeah. getting off today because I just feel like, you know, it's it's so messy. Yeah. And I, I, I'm tired of now having had certain kinds of attitudes blocked and now they're back on and I just I'm going to get out and if it settles down and I feel more comfortable yeah maybe I'll come back but as of tonight I'm done with Twitter am I seeing things are you getting a little misty-eyed there I know (laughs) (laughs) no there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, drama going on I mean like I said the the content moderation policies are the same Elon hasn't changed them so um now there was uh an op that on Elon's very first day as CEO taking over the company there was an operation by a message board called 4chan where they basically posted messages on this board to encourage users to go on Twitter 
and uh, and and post racist messages. And they actually use bots to create a lot of. Uh, they created a bunch of bot accounts that posted these racist messages. This was detected very quickly and taken down. But then what happened is these activist groups put out stories like, well. You know, they're monitoring the fire hose of tweets, and they put out stories like racist tweets have increased 500% on Twitter, and then they feed that to the press, and then the press feeds it to celebrities like Whoopi, and then they feed it to advertisers to create a boycott. But the whole thing is a manufactured op. I mean, the, the policies have not changed. Um, the, the, there are people who want to uh, try and make trouble for the company, and so they essentially create these stories, but uh, just it, there hasn't been a change yet on speech. If she is so offended by racist messages, she should cover her ears from the woman who sits down the lane from her on the set who just referred to white women prepared to vote Republican as roaches. Um, so, yeah, whoopies doesn't have to go far if she was looking for reasons to be offended. That one apparently didn't offend her ears. All right. Let's talk elections. Uh, enough about Twitter, yeah. even though I know you got all the answers. It's kind of exciting. Um, <laughs> so far, not seeing tons of surprises coming in. Really, we're just kind of waiting. I will give you this up update. Um, yeah, okay, this is not surprising. Uh, NBC News is projecting that Democrat Josh Shapiro has won the Pennsylvania governor's race. We knew that was going to happen. The Republican candidate there had, could never get anything going. Uh, that will likely help Fetterman. That, of course, has already been baked into the cake in assessing how this race is likely to go. And an update on the Pennsylvania Senate race, again, via NBC. Fetterman now at 50.8, Oz at 46.7. But that's only 56 percent of the expected votes. So you can't it's just kind of fun to see it. It means nothing until we get much, much more of the vote in. Uh, The bottom line is we don't know. And things are happening there as kind of they were expected to happen. But what's your overall take on where we are tonight? Well, I think it's going to be a good night for the Republicans. Um, You know, they're expected to win the House. I think they're going to win the Senate, too. I don't know how good a night's going to be. I don't know how big a red wave it's going to be. But I think it's very early to tell. But it does seem like the Republicans are going to do well. And I think the biggest reason is just that the economy is not doing very well right now. Something like Mm. 75% of Americans already believe we're in a recession. 72% of Americans think that we're on the wrong track. I'm not sure who the 3% are who believe we're in a recession, but on the right track, that seems kind of weird. But in any event, you get the point that, you know, almost three quarters of the country thinks that we're headed in the wrong direction and we're in a recession. So, and I think this is, really a direct result of uh, Biden's economic policy that he put in place really from the beginning of his presidency. You know, first he canceled our energy independence. Then he passed up opportunities to essentially negotiate, use diplomacy to avoid the Ukraine war. That created a supply shock. So in other words, he, he reduced America's own sources of energy at the very same time that we have this you know war in Ukraine that he really didn't do anything to prevent. And then on top of that, he alienated the Saudis. So all of this started this um, or greatly contributed to this inflation problem we have, which has caused the feds to jack up interest rates so fast that it's crashed the stock market, especially growth stocks. And it's uh, increased um, interest rates. The, the uh, mortgages are now over 7%. So the economy is in really big trouble. And of course, the, the, the Biden spending program has contributed a lot to this as well. I mean, he started with that trillion American rescue plan. This is the COVID relief bill that we didn't really need. Larry Summers warned him it could create inflation. They still went with it. Then there was another 1.1 trillion for infrastructure and they wanted the 3.3, sorry, 3.5 trillion for uh, build back better that got mercifully reduced to 750 billion. 
which they then renamed the Inflation Reduction Act, which was sort mm-hmm. of ludicrous. Uh, but in any event, this this wild spending by Biden has really contributed to this inflation problem. The inflation has caused uh, interest rates to to spike up, and that has really put the economy, I think, on the verge of um, of really a very deep recession. And yeah, we can very much feel it here in Silicon Valley. All the major tech companies are doing huge layoffs right now, and um, or, or or hiring freezes, and a lot of companies are just starting to go out of business. So. I think, you know, the American people are starting to feel this, but I think it's going to be a lot worse next year as well. I think this is really important because already you're starting to hear um, Democrats and their media allies say, well, the Republicans can't do anything. They can't do anything about inflation. You know, they just complained about it. They're not actually not going to be able to change it at all. Well, that doesn't erase the fact that the Democrats are the reason we got into this pickle to begin with, outlining the spending that they approved over threats from Republicans or warnings, I should say, from Republicans and others that it would cause runaway inflation uh, was a Right. was deeply problematic. And they got away with it saying, we're the ones who want to help you. We want to help you with all this COVID relief that at that point, the people no longer needed. And in helping us, they've wound up hurting a lot of people and the exit polls reflect the pain. No, that's right. I mean, so the, the American Rescue Plan that was passed in Biden's first three months in office was done on straight party line, uh, straight party lines. They then later in that year, after inflation was already a problem, they did the infrastructure bill, which admittedly some Republicans went along with, but Biden made the number twice as big as what the Republicans wanted. And then you had this BBB plan, which was going to be another three and a half trillion. They then reduced it to 750, uh, which was again done on straight party lines. So, and then Biden did this trillion dollars of debt forgiveness for, for student loans. So there's been this massive amount of spending that's come out of this White House. And then on top of it, you got to remember that. Last summer, the administration had this party line that inflation was transitory. Remember that starting yep. in May last year? Yep. And the reason why that was so important is because Powell was up for renomination. And there was a five-month period between May and November where uh, where Powell really should have been raising interest rates and stopping the quantitative easing. But he didn't. And I think a big part of the reason why is he got roped into this party line, the story that the administration was telling that inflation was transitory. So in other words, in order for him to successfully be reconfirmed, he had to get along with what the administration was saying. So the administration affected Fed policy in a major way last year. And uh, and the result of all of this is we have this, you know, the worst inflation we've had in 40 years that's caused interest rates to now have, have gone up a lot. And that I think is really hurting the economy. Uh, I want to give you an update on some of the numbers. Now, update on Ohio Senate per NBC, J.D. Vance, 53.8%, Tim Ryan, 46.1%, 82% of the vote in. So we're getting closer. Um, also still looking down in Georgia, update on the governor's race there, which should be Brian Kemp's pretty easily based on what we saw going in. He's at 54.0, Stacey Abrams at 45.3, again, 82% of the expected vote in there. I mean, right now, those races look like they're going to wind up pretty much as we as we thought they'd be. Um, but let me ask you this up to speaking of Ohio and J.D. Vance's race, according to the exit poll, CNN reporting, almost 75 percent of Ohio voters said inflation has caused their family severe or moderate hardship. That mirrors the numbers we saw nationally. I mean, that's 
How do you get past that in a state like Ohio? This is not a rich state. It's not San Francisco. It's not California with a bunch of rich people running in tech. It's not New York with a bunch of rich people running Wall Street. Ohio is people who work with their hands, you know, and and 75 percent saying inflation caused their family severe or moderate hardship. I just feel like with those numbers, how does J.D. Vance not win? Right. No, you're right. I mean, the the number one most salient issue with the electorate is uh, inflation and the economy. I think something like 51% say it's the number one issue that they care about. And the problem is that workers' wages have not kept up with inflation, so their buying power in real terms has diminished. And the only time the administration ever really has acknowledged this is when they farcically renamed the Build Back Better Act, the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, if it was so good at reducing inflation, why don't you run on it? Why don't you talk about your legislative Mm -hmm. accomplishments? You'll notice that the administration, Biden, has not been talking at all about any of the bills that he passed that we're talking about, the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure, the Inflation Reduction Act. He's not running on these things. Instead, he's running on this message that if you don't support the Democrats in power in perpetuity, that somehow that's a threat to democracy. In other words, Democracy requires the perpetuation of one party rule forever. This is his campaign pitch. This is his sales pitch. So I don't think voters are buying it. I think there's a small sort of cohort of voters who, you know, actively watch MSNBC who buy that story. But I do not think that the working class voters of Ohio are buying that story. Um, This is back to John Ralston, the reporter uh, in Nevada, who's broken a lot of news. I just confirmed that whatever mail has been dropped off today will not be tabulated tonight in Clark County. May actually take until Thursday. Again, this is back to Nevada. What will be tallied tonight are Election Day in person and all the early mail votes already in the system safe provisional ballots. We are now incapable of getting an Election Day election result. It's absurd. Florida. Yes. Right. Because of the hanging chads thing that happened 20 right. plus years ago. Right. Like they learned their lesson. I don't know. And th- yeah. this this happens there at the same time. We've got the situation in Maricopa, Arizona, that we're just going to have to try. They're sorry. Well, OK, you're, you're sorry, but your boss is Carrie Lake's opponent. You know, she's in the race. So naturally, people are going to be a little suspicious if that race comes down to a tight vote. You know, and they're saying nobody was denied their vote. The other side is saying something very different than that. Um, but I really think this is a wake up call. The, the Democrats are so worried about like, oh, the election integrity. It's like, why don't we focus on this? It's actually not that hard to run a clean and fair election. It, it, it makes no sense that some states are able to give us a verdict on election night and others require till the next day or many days. Um, it seems like this is something that we should try to fix across the country is be able to find out who won uh, at least the, the same night of an election, unless there's something extraordinary happening, like some sort of extremely close runoff where you need to do a recount. But just for in the ordinary course of things to have elections that drag on for days, uh, it doesn't inspire confidence in the system. Mm. What extent do you think the uh, the media has had in what we're seeing so far tonight? Because when I see abortion so high, high up in the list, I, I think of conversation I had with some pals on the show right after Dobbs broke. And, the, and they were suggesting this wasn't going to be a real issue to me. And I said, well, don't discount the media running story after story after story, trying to tug at the heartstrings of people about, you know, this person who wanted an abortion and couldn't get it and had it. And sure enough, we did see some of that. Um, right. I, I do wonder to what extent the Republicans, as always, are coming from behind because they've got not just their opponents, but the media as well against them. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's no question that the media has a huge impact. I mean, imagine if the media, if, if we had just a completely neutral media, I think that all these close that that would be probably a several point swing you know that would that would make a big difference i think on the issue of abortion um it is a salient issue for a, a pretty large number of voters but the number is something like 15% to 20% of voters say it's you know one of their top issues as compared to say 51% for the economy so it is meaningful but it's not as meaningful as the economy or inflation and i think one of the things that's happened um since you got that um since you got that failed ballot initiative in Kansas, remember that the pro-life side tried to uh, amend the constitution in order to uh, make a change that would then allow for further restrictions on abortion. It actually failed. And since then, I think you've seen Republicans start to uh, moderate their message on that issue. They've learned how to talk about it, I think, in a way that is less alienating to the, I'd say, majority of Americans who favor some sort of um, messy compromise in the middle. Uh, but the Democrats have not, actually. The Democrats, uh, their position on this issue is to permit abortion into the nine month uh, for any reason. It's actually a position that it's, it's more radical than even what was in Roe. You know, Roe basically said that states can restrict abortion after viability. This is after 23 weeks. So the Democrats actually have taken a more extreme position on abortion than I think a lot of Republicans who've learned to talk about the issue. So I'm I'm skeptical that this is going to be a, a silver bullet for, for the Democrats. Mm. We'll see. Uh, continuing to watch the latest numbers come in, New York, Georgia, oh, sorry, not, not New York, New York Times, uh, New, Georgia Senate race, Walker 49.4, Warnock 48.6 with 77% reporting, Pennsylvania, Fetterman 50 Oz, 47% with 62% reporting. Um, there's more and more tweeting from GOP pundits suggesting Oz is likely to lose based on what's left to count, but we don't know that. We'll continue to watch it. David Sachs, always a pleasure speaking with you, sir. Thank you. Come back. Yes. Good luck with the Twitter situation. Yes. Happy, happy to talk anytime. Thanks, Megan. All right. Back with you now uh, for closing thoughts on what to expect the rest of the night. Tom Bevan and Jim Garrity together, the dream team together. Uh, so what do you got, Tom? Let me ask you about that suggestion that given the outstanding vote left to count in Pennsylvania, some are getting more and more bearish on Oz's chances. Well, look, that race was always going to be very, very close. I mean, we had Oz leading. I think he was ahead in the final through few polls in that race. And, uh, you know, but he was leading by only, I think, three tenths of one percent in our average. So clearly it was going to be, uh, you know, a coin flip race. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. It looks like Fetterman's running strong, though, in the areas where Biden won in 2020, uh, even running ahead of Biden in some of those places. So I think Democrats uh, think they have a pretty good shot at, at, at taking that seat. And that's obviously uh, a, that would be a flip. I can't help but think, uh, Jim Garrity, of uh, Chuck Schumer and what he was heard saying to Joe Biden on the tarmac that day, saying, we're good in Pennsylvania. That that debate mm. did not hurt us too badly. He was more worried about Georgia. And indeed, it does look like Walker's doing pretty well in Georgia and Fetterman is doing pretty well in Pennsylvania. Chuck Schumer obviously has a very good reason to pay very close attention to all of this. He wants to remain um, the majority leader and not become the minority leader and watch Mitch McConnell run the Senate. Um, I guess I personally would not be surprised if this is how it goes, because I just I, I, I said before, it seems like what January 6th is to the Republicans, Fetterman's 
disability issues are to the Democrats. They really just don't care. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, since we last talked, uh, I've spoke, I've heard from several Pennsylvania Republicans watching this race closely, looking at the numbers coming in from the suburban districts outside Pennsylvania, Bucks County, places like that, and just kind of looking, not what we wanted to see. They're not saying he's doomed yet, but basically they had targets of how many votes they wanted in those districts and they just aren't seeing them. Um, so that, you know, I, I think right around now, we are approaching 11 o'clock Eastern time. You can see a narrative taking place, right? Fetterman is looking like he's going to pull it out in Pennsylvania. Oz is down by like four percentage points. Still a lot of votes out there. But like I said, Republicans don't like the margins they're seeing. Um, Georgia, I mean, look, maybe Walker, he's, he's just not too far below that 50%. But this is probably going to a runoff. I still like his odds in a runoff, but it still is, you know, another month of campaigning. You know, you know, mm. we saw what happened in the runoffs last time. So we know we can't wait, really count on wait. anything there. But let's let's um, say Trump doesn't interfere this time. Right. Trump interfered yeah. the last time. Well, it was very I, I'm building up to this this crescendo, you could <laughs> okay, say. Okay. Uh, yeah. Maggie Hassan, who looked vulnerable at the beginning of this, has looked like she's going to cruise to reelection. It's Couple of folks have already called this race early. At this That's point. right. ABC Again, just called. Not it a lot of the votes out. I'm kind of surprised how early we're seeing a call there. But apparently, Don Bolduc has just you know flopped, despite some folks saying he was really closing in the final days. We'll see how things go in Arizona. We'll see how things go in Nevada. But I think added up, it's a very disappointing night for uh, for a lot of Republicans. Maybe they can still win the Senate, but it kind of depends on what still has to be resolved. Well, and I don't know look, why you say it's a, a very disappointing when, night. You know, uh, it, it's Ron a disappointing DeSantis night if you is basically walking around like Conan the Barbarian and <laughs> leaving a trail of of you know Charlie Crist entrails behind him and just demolished. <laughs> Florida has become so red. And oh, oh, who endorsed Oz out in Pennsylvania? Who was the one who put Herschel Walker? Okay, Herschel Walker was a football star. He was going to win that primary no matter what. Yeah. Um, You're Don Bolduc in New Hampshire. You know, generic Republican, Tim Pawlenty, who is the most generic Republican I can think of. You know, if, if you just had a normal Republican out there, there's an excellent chance they perform, be performing better than these candidates. Mm. If Republicans will go through this cycle and they're like, you know what, this did not turn out the way we hoped. Maybe that narrative we heard early on of Trumpy, you know, unusual, inexperienced candidates. Maybe that's what they're going to be pointing to. And maybe they're going to well, say, wait a minute, verdict. you know what? The economy is terrible. You got Carrie People Lake. Got about inflation. We had the best possible environment we could possibly hope for. And it gets a phenomenally unpopular president. And we can't beat John Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Mm. Really? Mm. That's well, what Republicans are at this point. So, approaching 11, things look pretty grim. Jim, Jim, hold on. We'll get time to weigh in because I, I don't know that I think it's too early to say this is looking like a big disappointment for the Republicans. I think we can safely say no tsunami. But if the Republicans, they could they could very well still win control of the Senate. And it looks like they will win control of the House. And that's a huge W for them, Tom. I don't How do you see it? Yeah, well, I look, given the expectations that Republicans had coming into this night, I think it it is going to we'll see where the final numbers end up. But I think there were a lot of Republicans who thought that they were on the verge of of a, a tsunami of like a knockout blow. And that is mm-hmm. certainly not going to happen. Now, listen, I, first of all, Jim, I don't know about that. I mean, you got J.D. Vance. He's cruising in Ohio. You've got Ted Budd. Those are both Trump endorsed candidates. I don't think Trump endorsed Don Bolduck. Um, we'll see what happens with Blake Masters and Adam Laxalt. I mean, if Republicans win those two races in the West um, and Herschel Walker manages to avoid a runoff in Georgia, suddenly, you know, Republicans win the Senate with uh, plus two seats. So 
we'll see what happens. I mean, I think this night is is not over uh, for Republicans, but it's certainly uh, there were some disappointments in the House. And, and you know, if if Oz goes down in, in Pennsylvania um, and Don Bolduc certainly been a disappointment uh, in the Senate races. But again, I'm you know, Republicans plus two in the Senate is is not a bad scenario for them. Um, and if they win 15 to 20 House seats, that's not a that's not a you know terrible night for them. But it will be, I think, disappointing for folks who there were a lot of Republicans out there who were hoping for a lot more. They want a tsunami. Just an update on Wisconsin. Uh, New York Times reporting Ron Johnson, Republican, has 50.50.1 percent. Mandela Barnes, 49.9 percent. Only 58 percent reporting. That's a race in which uh, Barnes's stance on crime has been front and center. Uh, I just I I will be shocked if Barnes manages to pull that one out. And in the state of Wisconsin, I just like I get given his record on crime and no bail and you know, defund the police in this environment, Jim. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but that one's that one's I feel like going to go red. And then, yeah, like you said, a couple of people, including the, the ABC, is projecting Maggie Hassan as the winner in New Hampshire. So if New Hampshire goes blue, um, I mean, stays blue. And um, if Pennsylvania uh, goes blue, right, that would be a, a Dem pickup. Um, and the Republicans win Georgia. That would be a GOP pickup. They need still to win one more. The GOP st- still needs to they'll need to pick up one more in order to gain control to get 51. And so what in my scenario would it be? It could be could be Nevada, could mm-hmm. be Arizona. Is there anything else I'm not thinking of that's still out there as a possible GOP pickup? Not really. And I think Nevada is the safer bet of the two. Um, Laxalt's been a very strong candidate, had a small but consistent lead in the polling. But I just feel like this has turned into the kind of night where if you're Republicans, you can't count on anything that didn't look safe. They're not getting the breaks. They're not getting the Mm. late surges, the the ones, the kind of outcomes you'd like to see. Uh, And we just don't have a lot of the results out there in Arizona. Um, Maybe Carrie Lake can kind of, you know, no pun intended, carry Blake Masters over the top on that. Mm-hmm. Um, these West Coast, the West Coast states, we're just going to wait longer to, to get some more results in here. But I just feel like, you know, in a lot of these states, it's been a case of where Republicans went in with high hopes, really feeling good. And again, issue environment about as good as they possibly could ask for. And they have fallen short. And I think against mm-hmm. some very flawed candidates like John Fetterman and Maggie Hassan, I guess that's the other thing that's kind of nagging at me. It's, it's not just, you know, who you're, lo- it's not just that you're losing, it's who you're losing to in the kind of environment that really you should have the wind at your back. Hmm. Um, want to tell you this. NBC News now projecting J.D. Vance as the winner in Ohio, 53.8 uh, percent at this point. Again, not a big surprise, but he did struggle and they did criticize him for candidate quality. Um, he went very Trumpy and sort of election denial. Um, but then sort of tried to moderate that when he got the nomination. And, you know, I I she's got a ton of support. It's Ohio. Trump carried the state. He's doing better in these uh, counties from what I uh, read than even Trump did. So I think that's probably a comfortable call. So that's an important one, Tom, because the GOP needed to protect. If it's not going to win these other states, it needs to protect what it has. Right. So it protects Ohio. And now all eyes are on Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania and Georgia. Yeah. And, you know, I've been tracking the vote as it's coming in and comparing it to where the polls were and where our averages were. And, you know, we had J.D. Vance 
in our real clear politics average, leading that race by eight points. That's about what he's coming in at, what he's going to win it by. Uh, Ted Budd was up 6.2 in our average. He's last I checked, he was at about four. He might end up about five. Rubio was plus 8.8, and he obviously doubled that, so way outperformed his polls. And in New Hampshire, we had Maggie Hassan leading by 1.4%, and she's obviously going to way outperform that. So, um, you know, had the Georgia race, Herschel Walker was uh, up 1.4 in the average of polls. And, you know, for a while there, he was at 1.4, 1.1. I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, right around that area. We had, um, you know, Adam Laxalt's up uh, 3.4 in the in the poll average. We'll see where that comes in. Blake Masters was up three tenths of a percent, and Oz was up four tenths of a percent. So it looks like Oz mm. is going to fall short, and we'll see what happens with Blake Masters. But the polls, you know, Ron Johnson was up 3.6. We'll see where he ends up. But you know, for barring a couple of states, uh, you know, the the people who are ahead in the polls won, um, and a couple of them actually outperformed. But but a lot of them came in right on the number. All right. Before I left to go, I'll let you go because we're up against it. Uh, do you still both predict the GOP takes the House tonight and by about 20? Yeah, that, that's about where I put it at this point. Yeah, I agree. OK. And are, are you still predicting GOP takes the Senate by like one quickly? Yeah. You know, Laxalt, don't make me look stupid. Tom? <laughs> I think it's going to be one, maybe two. Okay. All right. You heard it here. You guys, thank you so much for all your hard work tonight. We are honored to have had you on the program all evening. Love talking to you. And thanks to all of you at home for joining us for our very first election special. We'll see you right back here on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111, 13 hours, and on our podcast tomorrow as well. Thanks for listening and watching on YouTube. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.